Why don't you get me a cup of coffee? Who the hell is it? Cafe latte. What the fuck? Twist the lemon. Chief, what the fuck is this? Sweet and low. Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode four of Getting Defoe You, season two, where from heaven's gate to the present day. Join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. So we are well underway. We've, um, you know, we've we've parked up our hogs. We've <laughs> we've we've been loveless, and now we go from loveless to saints in a transition that made headed made sense in my mind when I started talking there. <laughs> we're boondocking, we're boondocking, which sounds like a sex act, but we're rolling with it because, as we've told you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a sexy season. We're boondocking with the saints right now. <laughs> we're blasting. <laughs> We're going, yeah, straight from the 1950s America to the streets of Boisdien for a, maybe for better, maybe for worse, a very interesting film where, you know, some highs, some lows, some dragged up Defoe. (laughs) So this is one, you know, we've not seen before. This is one that's all over the place in the best and worst of ways. There's some terrible accents. There's just some just editing choices that are made. Boondock Saints, what a time. <laughs> there are just choices across the board that are made, and we find out the, the main <laughs> culprit for those problems. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, um, you know, we cover, as we always do, a fair bit of ground. We talk about the allusions to Quentin Tarantino in this one, and I think what a guest to sort of have on to discuss the works of Quentin Tarantino, joined by Scott Crowshaw of one of many uh, podcasts, including the Church of Tarantino. So if anyone would know what's going on, it's a uh, yeah, it's old to, to help us discuss that kind of post-Tarantino landscape and Hollywood kind of sucking at the tit of anyone who's kind of playing in that crime world it's, it's, it's scott scott is the man and he he's somebody who saw this film on release unlike us couple of dum-dums who saw it just <laughs> days before recording this episode i was eight when it came out leave me alone but hey it was the turn of the century and let me tell you anything went which is which is how films <laughs> like the boondock saints come to be and you know we're talking about the ups and downs of one troy duffy as well who at one point was hollywood's Hottest property, but more like Goondock Saints, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> we we will we will absolutely uh, get into it there, as we always do. It's a banger of an episode, of course it is. It's season two, the sexy season, baby. But if you want to reach out, if you want to tell us what you think about the Boondock Saints as well, run all the socials. Petros, if I could be so kind, uh, where can we be found? Well, if you want to get sexy with us in this season, you can find us on all those sexy social sexy socials. Yeah, it's a sexy social. Eh? <laughs> we're on the we're on the one of the sexy socials, and we're on the sexy socials all at Defoe You Pod. So that is on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Or if you'd like to drop us an email, that is DefoeYouPod at gmail.com. Mark your email sexy season and we'll know that you're talking about uh these episodes right now we want to want those sexy sexy emails from you sexy sexy listeners and hopefully gmail doesn't flag it for smut content (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's that's a new one spam smut (laughs) that's the vibe of the season baby if you don't know by now then i don't know what to tell you if your emails are not coming into our spam folder you're not doing a good enough job (laughs) 
we want to get banned by Gmail before season three. That's <laughs> we want to be on Yahoo. Uh, <laughs> what do we, we we want a Hotmail account so we can be a couple of Hotmails at Hotmail, baby. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot start, people. Hot start, hot start. Uh, but I think with that said, it's time to get into the episode. So we will see you on the other side. But for now, it's a bit of chat about the Boondock Saints. Enjoy. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. This week, we get our guns loaded and head on down to Boston for the 1999 action thriller The Boon Dock Saints. Defoe plays Paul Schmecker, an eccentric FBI agent on the hunt for a pair of vigilantes. Now helping us get to know Defoe this week and see if this movie is truly a saint or just a boondock sinner is the host of the Church of Tarantino pod, the Cheeky Bastards pod, and Dropping a Bruce podcast, it's Scott Crowshaw. Scott, thank you very much for joining. How the devil... How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having me on. This is a put on your show with you two times in less than a month. People are going to start thinking we're dating or something's going on. <laughs> That's how you get the viewers in. That's how you get the <laughs> listeners in. It's the drama that people listen for. It's the love triangles. It's the will they, won't they relationships. Yes. And it's who will I choose? Is it Petros yeah. or is it Scott? Exactly. <laughs> Who's the junk is closer to Defoe's? <laughs> exactly. Well, this is the sexy season. So if there's a bit of a proper yes. situation, let it happen, baby. Yes. That's what I say. I don't yeah. know that I look. I don't know who will look better in a skirt, mirrored bedrest. I don't know that anyone wants. Neither of us got see hair. that. This is true. So we're going to be good with wigs. We're going to look really good with wigs. This is the power of the wig. And also, don't make me choose two minutes <laughs> into the recording. You, you, you animals. <laughs> this is too too hectic a decision to make this early on. We've still got so much boon to dock as the episode goes on. But with that said. And anytime we have a new guest on the show, we're always keen to know, uh, Scott, for you, how well do you know Willem Dafoe? Do you recall your first Dafoe film? How many you've seen? Uh, What are your views on the man we've dedicated a podcast to? My first Dafoe depicture or de film would have been Platoon. That would have been my first real recollection that that was Willem Dafoe. I'd love to be able to say that I was some kind of artsy-fartsy cinephile and I was watching him with Nicolas Cage or in some of his early stuff, but it was definitely the simple platoon. I mean, the man is on the box. It is one of the most recognizable covers ever of yeah. him Iconic. doing the eventually stolen by Creed, who I do believe Creed, the band in America, does owe Willem Dafoe and maybe even Oliver Stone money for using the Jesus Christ dying pose all the time when they sang. So <laughs> I do believe <laughs> that Willem Dafoe, I mean, even, even the rock, uh, the, the, the movie, not the wrestler owes Mr. When cage at the end is holding yeah. up those two flares as hard yeah. as he can. He's, he's dipping it a little Dafoe there. So that'd be my first for sure. Passion of the Christ was a good one. That's an oddball Scorsese film. I'm sure you might, might cover. And then, I mean, you know, as as we get going through the '90s and stuff, he's he's popping up. He's unfortunately, unfortunately, probably took a paycheck to be in Speed Two. You know, 
Every now and again, you got to do a geriatric speed movie on a boat that doesn't go very fast. <laughs> Nothing fast about a boat. Yeah. Um, but he was one, good. There is only one boat that is known for its speed, and it has speed in its name. <laughs> there is no speed button in speed. So. <laughs> Some called it a missed opportunity, but not me. Oh, yeah. But no, so I, to, an exact number... That, I don't know. Like, if you ask me how many Nicolas Cage movies I've seen, I know how many you guys have done, but I don't think I've seen the 105 or whatever it is. Probably in the 60s for Cage, maybe 70s. But it's one of those things where, like, when you go back and start looking at him, you go, oh, my God, that's right. He was in that movie. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just not on the top of my Yeah, w- Willem Dafoe's most sneaky ones because he's, like, yes. he's, like, rarely a leading man. Like, like or if he is he's kind of like he goes all out like he's either in a, a two-hander with robert pattinson in the lighthouse or he's like doing inside where it's like wall-to-wall willem dafoe yes when he, when he is a lead whereas like yeah he just crops up in stuff so it's like kind of like if you've watched the wes anderson films it's kind of like yes ding, 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 and then other like other little stuff will kind of crop up in and i don't want to alienate your listeners i'm not a huge wes anderson fan but i will say i do feel like he gives Defoe some of the best parts, in my opinion. In my opinion. Some of them, you're just like, oh, oh we won't get into the last one because he was barely in it. <laughs> it was pointless. But some of the other ones, like you're like, oh, he's brilliant. Like uh, He plays the villain bag man in um, the hotel one. I, the, the, the name is slipping me. I apologize. Grand Budapest. Yeah, he's fantastic in that. I love him in that. Like He's just this oddball. And, you know, I, look it. I know we'll probably jump into this, but... We, we we all want it, and maybe season three will be the season of the full frontal, but we want to see more full frontal. We want to know. We want to know, is the hog really the hog? <laughs> is Whoa. it? We, we talked about it with you you guys know, uh, my friends over on the podcast no one asked for. We've discussed it before. Does yeah. it have like an elbow or two elbows, like a bend? Like we think it's like one of those weird wizard, you know, like, a, like almost like a Slytherin type of wand. But like a really thick branch, like yeah. Ol- Ollivander's style, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> or, or a combination of that and uh, Gandalf's staff. Like it's imagine that it's just like <laughs> crooked and a lot of like <laughs> little knots on it. Well, we've had a whisper of Dick this season. We've had a whisper of the Hog in the Loveless, and we got some Underball. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, we got we got what nice back. We we'll wait to see. We're waiting to see Full <laughs> Shaft. <laughs> yeah. Waiting to see is Robert Roundtree. I don't know Weird. if you're going to do any uh, paraphernalia, but I think Whisper of the Willie or Whis- Whisper of the Wilhelm, that, that would be a great final film for him. And no one knows, but it's just like full frontal the entire time. He's like, Whisper of Wilhelm, that's weird. And then there he is. Wes Anderson's final film as well. No, it's Abel Ferrara's final film. It's just like a really, a really long shot that like creeps in over 24 hours, getting closer and closer. And the final is just like, a really tight <laughs> shot of his cock. That's what I want to say. <laughs> what if it starts in tight and slowly pulls out and you realize the reveal, you're like, oh my God, that's his penis. But like all these things, like his dick is a diorama and all these scenes are taking place on his penis. You don't realize. Yeah, yeah. Right, there we go. <laughs> if anyone knows Abel Ferreira, I am free to just write up a few, you know, little script ideas. Just a few things out there. It's like the end of Men in Black. <laughs> when you realize that, that the universe is all in, yes. the, in, the, cat's, in the cat's necklace. It's yep. like, here we go. This whole this whole universe we've been watching a film for is on mm. Willem's penis. I'm here <laughs> for it. God, Whisper that's, Willem. 
That's the last ever episode that we do. We just invent a fucking film about you. Yes, kid. yes. That's you. You have, you have to go out big. You have to be memorable, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm fucking talking about. Fucking pendulum, Defoe, Dong. I'm in the cinema, just watching it go back and forward, back and like a tennis rally. <laughs> They're going. This is what 2002 is all about. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is this. <laughs> I know this term gets overused, and I know people like to throw around the term masterpiece, but can we describe a masterpiece for a film that only exists in our disease-riddled minds? That could win the the Holy Trinity. I think that could win a BAFTA. I think it yeah. could win the Oscar, and I think it could win the Golden Globe. It's going to go out there. And, you know, let's go with four. It's going to take cons. We're fucking taking cons. I think it would win an EGOT, even though it's not... Yeah. Even- not a, oh, whatever all of them yeah it's not a, it's not it's not a it's not a tony award it's winning a kids award. choice award from nickelodeon i can tell you that right now mtv <laughs> movie award MTV. i mean those are the real one we're gonna get a moon man for this bad boy and a copious amount of green spooge i mean that feels like that's what you get when you went for this well i mean come uh, on yeah it, it won master chef it won the great british bake-off it won taskmaster exactly the Between the US spring. Open tennis and golf. So no. doing both. He's winning both. Nobel Peace Prize, but <laughs> Peace is spelled P I E C E. Nobel Listen, Peace Prize. Come Nobel on, ladies Prize. and gentlemen. Keep up. It could solve anything. It could solve anything. World hunger. It when it pops out of that zipper, it's like, you know, like you're blinded. It, it has its own voice. I mean, it's there's a lot going on there. a godly sound and a bright white light that's what happens it's of international issues yes famine national issues you could solve the issue of where's my dad been for 30 years listen he's you don't know this your father started out in a journey that he thought was climbing mountain the kilimanjaro there and and ended up being his cock and he's still mid shaft (laughs) like he's not even He's not even at the end of the stop. He's no. mid-shaft, so. Oh, God, he's. He's going to get. Yeah, oh. I didn't know Kilimanjaro had a mountain, had, had, had a forest at the top. It's yes, exactly. Handled in Willem's pubes. Is that a vein on Kilimanjaro? Like I said, when that movie comes out, you'll be in the theater and there will be tears because you'll have seen your father and he won't even know he's in a fucking movie. He will think he is still surviving what's happening on the vein yeah. of Willem. I'm watching that movie in tears, just <laughs> just thinking to myself, I get it. I get it now. I understand. I finally understand what art has all been about. Yes, yes. All my yes. chakras are alive. <laughs> my body is vibrating. I'm ready. They call me the human vibe. And, and then you'll understand why everything we build is Felix Symbol, because of Willem Dafoe. That's what God. the real last name stands for. It, oh, not understanding it's he's he's describing it. it's willem defoe and he's his dick's defoe he calls it the defoe and its name is willem willem defoe. <laughs> <laughs> no one's i apologize i've just crashed this entire podcast i do apologize that's no what more happens when you bring on an american yeah, no more than up. we have already crashed it for the past first season and now half of a second season so <laughs> <laughs> we this, we know our trajectory at this point. <laughs> this is just rubble. We are we yeah. we are kind of we are, we are live live broadcasting from 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 the rubble of a wreck right now. That that's where we yeah. are. I, I find that's what you do when you do your second podcast, right? Like you have your main podcast and it's your child, and this one is like someone else's kids. You know what I mean? You're like you know what? 
I'm gonna have a little more fun with this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them gonna give them coke before they go to bed. Let's see what happens. And you know that's as that's what cheeky bastards just turned into. It just yeah. turns into uh, two guys curmudgeonly talking shit about stuff, and then you know I go back and do my artsy fartsy stuff with Tarantino. I'm like, oh, how about Tarantino's this and that? The other one, I'm like, fuck you, fuck your mom. This movie sucks. You suck. <laughs> and then you go on to someone else's podcast with no respect <laughs> no respect just pulling man. out defoe dick I, like two minutes <laughs> and you ask me what my first thing is and in three seconds i derailed it like a tarantino film you yeah. thought you were just gonna yeah, have two gentlemen wrestling <laughs> wrestling in like a little uh, shop and the next thing you know there's ball gags there's a gimp and if it works for tarantino then it works for defoe's <laughs> Hog, it's a it's, hog is a flat circle, baby. <laughs> but I'll bring it back for you. I apologize. Uh, I love Willem Dafoe. Absolutely. I think. I mean, if you're a Nicolas Cage fan, as you two are, obviously, and as am I, how can you not be a Willem Dafoe fan? The man gives everything in every film, no matter. I'm like we, you know, I was jokingly about Speed Two, but he's like the best part of Speed Two. He's really trying to be this. He is buying into this villain thing, even though he knows this is the dumbest fucking thing ever. We're on a cruise ship. What are we going to keep it under twelve knots? Like, what, what, what are we doing on here? So you know what I mean? So he, he's just like, isn't is this shuffleboard and a buffet? Like, how is this a villainy act to do? So, but he is the best part. Um, he's just, I mean, he and Nick Cage are the reasons memes have been and gifts are generated. Like they don't realize they are, they should, when you open a book and says meme, their faces should both be there because they've given us glorious ones. They didn't even realize they were doing it. Expressive faces right there. Oh, amazing. Go to the outer limits of acting. Yes. Both of them, like Nicolas Cage has kind of branded it nouveau shamanic. And I think that Willem Dafoe is just, he's just all caps acting all mm-hmm. the time do you know what I mean and like yeah. he's talked about his method and the fact that he is happy to just kind of do the work and shut off as soon as it's finished and I think like that comes across and he's he, I think any film he's in he's having fun but mm-hmm. like servicing the film I know like a lot of sure. films it's like people are having fun and then like, you watch the film and it'd be like well I wish the fun <laughs> was extended to me dear dear sir <laughs> like in Willem's case it's like he's having fun and I'm kind of getting high off of the fumes of his fun. He's one of the most comfortable looking actors I've ever seen. Whenever he, he looks like it's effortless. He looks like he, like you said, he's having fun. But even like when I think about American Psycho and probably people forget that he's even in that movie when he comes in and he's just interviewing like, and even in this movie, every moment he has, it's just, it feels genuine, which is probably why I forget what fucking movies he's in. Even though he gives amazing performances, it could be crazy. You ever notice that no one talks shit about Defoe for being over the top, but Nick gets a bad rap for it? Yeah. Right? Like, like he goes nuts in fucking Spider-Man. Fucking nuts. And yet, it feels right. Like, it just it's just so comfortable. It's, it feels like every choice he makes or has decided is the right choice. Like, you can't see it being done another way. Same with Nick, but he always, I don't know why he gets such such bullshit, why he's always, you know, piled on for his cage rages, but Defoe has numerous, like in this film, glorious ones, glorious ones. I think the answer to that is, is Willem Defoe has never been like a Hollywood movie star. He's never been, he's never been that kind of uh, marquee name like Nicolas Cage. He doesn't have fair a, the, the, the beige Volvo trilogy under his belt. I think he doesn't, if he, had, if he had ascended to that, but he's done it right in the fact that he's just kind of, do you know what I mean? Drifted along one for them, one for me, like now and then, and kind of just been able to make what he wants to make. And it's kind of like people have just, I don't know. They've been subconsciously, do you know what I mean? Like waves in their brain going like, Oh yeah, I just accept this guy for who he is. 
Yeah, you might be right. Yes, yeah. I think there's there's always going to be parallels between you Defoe's and you Cages, and Cages won awards. Defoe's been so close to awards, and I think you know years from now there'll be an argument to be made that Defoe maybe Hollywood's greatest supporting actor. And I say that with all due respect. Because that's no, that's a, that's a fair that's a fair statement. That's a fair statement. Yeah, um, I, think... I apologize. That what's the one he did with Nick Cage and Laura Dern? Why is it slipping my mind right now? Hold it hard. I and I apologize. You know that I started this as a Nick Cage podcaster, and I know I'm on one with two guys who are solo Nick Cage podcasters. But this yeah. is a Defoe podcast, and I'm going to say something that may be a hot take and may not, and it hurts me. I, I think it. he. I think when he's on screen, he outacts Nick Cage in that film. His role in that film, he outcages Cage in that film. Well, yeah, of course. he's He's got the bonkers role to play, yeah. hasn't he? And, like, and I don't mean that in any mean, disrespectful way, because Cage is still fantastic. But in that film, with the fucking stocking, like the shit he, and the teeth, the things he does in that are fucking fantastic. It makes that film so watchable when he's on screen. You just, when he comes on, I'm like, ooh, okay. You feel, I'm on the back foot. I don't know what he's about to do. And, you know, Cage gets there, but I, I wonder how much of, that performance rubbed off on Cage because it's kind of like a tipping point. It's like early 90s, and then Cage mm. starts to move more towards the new shaman way. I just wonder how much of his interaction with Defoe in that movie, you know, m- maybe opened him up a little bit too. You know, I just, I yeah. mean, maybe not, but, you know, you can kind of see a little bit of a, of a precursor of what Nick becomes and what he starts to, to step out and do. I mean, look at him in Face Off. In the opening scene, he's fucking losing his fucking mind in that moment. And you just can't help think about, man, kind of like what Willem was doing a couple of years earlier with that whole fucking wild at heart. The only thing that mm-hmm. may like put a, put a dampener on this is Vampire's Kiss. There, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're true. yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're up on the matter, I think. <laughs> or does it or does it give it credence for what he did in Vampire's Kiss? What he saw Defoe do that? Yes, I am in the right. Like I'm taking the right steps like this i this thing i decided to try actually is going to work out for me and obviously does uh, and i imagine Clearly. he probably sees willem defoe switching off after each take and he realizes that maybe like the method and like being in on the role entirely all the time <laughs> is maybe not the way to move so yeah i think i think i think there is an argument to be made and hopefully one day we can we can ask that question to either of those gentlemen. Yeah, get us get us in a room with either Cage and or the foe, and we will ask the big questions. Um, it's just there'll be, there'll be a question asked that will be the question. Like, it'll be the final one. <laughs> gentlemen, it's time for a pissing contest. Whip and, out, uh, folks. Yeah, it'll be like the the briefcase moment in Pulp Fiction. It'll just be this glow on your face. Yeah, so it's like Petros will yell over. Are we happy? <laughs> You're like, yeah, we're happy. <laughs> we will know, and then we'll end on the cliffhanger. We'll end on the cliffhanger that um, we're not going to tell you. So, <laughs> that's, that's we've earned this. We we we've earned our right to know. Hog size. Thank you very much. Now, so hogs aside, <laughs> and uh, big performances inside, we are here to talk about 
The Boon Dock Saints from 1999. And before we get into the old Boon Docks, we've got some defacts and defigures to take care of. So, Petros, let's get into those defacts and defigures. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, have I got some defacts and defigures for you today? Boondock Saints was written and directed by one and only Troy Duffy. The film stars Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, Billy Connolly, and our very own River Dancing daddy willem defoe the film's initial release was on november 19th 1999 on that hot spot hot to trot place of cinema denmark before getting a limited release in the u.s on five screens only for one week in january or as i like to call it dumpuary of 2000 um the budget of this film was six million dollars the box office return was thirty thousand four hundred and seventy one dollars and it does not chart anywhere on the top 200 films of 2000 the imdb score for this is 7.7 out of 10 has a rotten tomato score of 26 percent based on 31 critic reviews it currently holds an audience score of 91 with over 250,000 audience ratings, the critic consensus reads, a juvenile ugly movie that represents the worst tendencies of directors channeling Tarantino. Our first Defoe sighting is 8 minutes and 36 seconds as he gets out of a cop car, hair practically blowing in the wind, cigarette in hand, to solve a fucking crime. And his first line is, brilliant. So now we have a huge guy theory and a serial crusher theory. Top notch. What's your name? <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, are your facts and the figures. Delightful stuff. <laughs> so the uh, a fish, the official synopsis of the Boondock Saints reads: Tired of the crime overrunning the streets of Boston, Irish Catholic twin brothers Connor and Murphy are inspired by their faith to cleanse their hometown of evil with their own brand of zealous vigilante justice. As they hunt down and kill one notorious gangster after another, they become controversial folk heroes in the community. But FBI agent Paul Smacker is fast closing in on their blood-soaked trail. So, with the Boondock Saints in mind, Scott, when was the uh, the first time you saw the Boondock Saints? And do you sort of recall back then what were your first impressions of this movie as well? So I do recall. It actually, I think, started its groundswell on, um, as a cult classic when it was released. I want to say it was like somewhere in 2001, I saw it on the shelves of Blockbuster. I was in the military down in the lovely town of Columbus, Georgia. It's as nice as you think. Uh, so I remember walking into the local blockbuster there and I remember seeing it on the shelves. And this is probably around the same time that I had probably just rented in that same time frame, like a Donnie Darko. So this was your like, it's like the new streaming services. You see something, you go, that kind of looks good. You, you know, you buy the, you, you rent it based on the, on the box. And sure. so I rented it and I was thoroughly surprised at the film. I, does it have, as we'll talk about, does it have its, its shortcomings? Oh, you bet it does. But does it also have its shining moments? Hell yes. Absolutely it does. It's something that I don't know if Steve listened to this, my cohort, but uh, he gave a shit on a recent episode, and I'm going to call him out on it right now. It's trash cinema. 
It is trash cinema, as Petros has kind of coined a phrase. It is one of those trash cinema cult favorites. And so I rented it, you know, went home, and then it really does feel like, and again, this could be my brain pulling in facts that aren't exactly true, but it felt like I saw the film, a bunch of people on post saw the film, and it suddenly ground swelled. And I feel like by 2002, all of a sudden, Hot Topic had like the fucking shirts with the prayer on the back and the two guns. And like, it just started this two to three year groundswell of like where Boondock Saints was kind of like riding the, this sounds terrible because it does sound like I'm very uppity, but felt like it was riding the coattails of the success of Tarantino. And in this time frame, Tarantino has been quiet for six years. So Tarantino does Jackie Brown in 97 and Kilba doesn't come out to 2003. So there is this bit of a vacuum for films of the nature like him that a movie like this completely, you know, falls into and and filled the void of. So my hat's off to it. It wasn't uh, the worst, and we'll get into it more. I, I don't want to jump the gun here. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an interesting story, and I always find I find a lot of times with stuff like this when there's a story behind the movie as well, which is just as sometimes, if not more interesting than the actual film. More interesting. Mm-hmm. I think definitely more interesting. <laughs> I know we got sort of like. A kind of similar thing when we covered Heaven's Gate, just the story of all the, the bullshit behind it was kind of just as interesting. But reading into the stuff of the, about this and about Troy Duffy, and we'll, we'll probably touch on it later. I know there was a whole almost companion piece documentary. Was it mm-hmm. called Overnight? Mm-hmm. The documentary. Overnight. It's amazing. <laughs> I remember there are two documentaries in film school that we were told to watch. They are the documentary to Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. to see what it's like to really fall in love with your film and the madness it will create for you to finish it. And then how not to treat Hollywood. And that's the Duffy one, the overnight one. Those are the two you watch to get into film. If you think you can do film, those are two. You got another one, Petros? Yeah, there's a third one, which is American Movie, which is about like uh, this low rent guy, Mark Borchard, who is just trying to make movies in like his like Wisconsin town and stuff like that. And he's like so delusional. <laughs> like he's got like, <laughs> a fucking clue what's going on, asking his like relatives for money all the time. He's like, I gotta, I gotta get Colvin finished. And people are like, do you, do you know it's pronounced coven he's like no it's colvin coven sounds too much like oven so yeah i think that that, that should be the kind of the holy trinity of films to watch to be like so, so you want to want to get in the ring as a filmmaker have, have, have a look at this god i want to watch all of these so bad there's something about just I don't know, car crash people, if that's mm. a term I can coin. That's yes. just so addictive. Like, I didn't have the time to watch overnight, but I sort of read sort of about it. And I think how, and I suppose while we're on the on the topic, I think, you know, setting the scene here for Boondock Saints, it, you can't really not talk about that without discussing a man who, for maybe like a week or a month, was the hottest property in Hollywood in, what would it be, like 98, 99 not like 97 like is this was real it took a long yeah. kind of gestation period for this to really like get the ball rolling like it was kind of like and in overnight you kind of see how big that kind of meteoric rise is because like the bar he was bartending at when he wrote the screenplay it's like vincent d'onofrio's turning up jeff goldblum's there he's chatting to patrick swayze he's making phone calls being like yeah 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 paul smecker i want 
Kenneth Branagh to play it. And it's like, yeah, who, who am I thinking as the twins? I'm thinking Stephen Dorff and Mark Wahlberg. And it's like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and it feels like, even though he made a movie, to this day, I still feel like the movie was just so he could get his music yeah put into it so he could actually he really wants to be a rock star and i think he felt like well if i can get my own music in it and people will love my music they'll he's he's yeah he's a troy duffy ladies and gentlemen i will say one thing about overnight as somebody who used to smoke cigarettes a lot i think I've, i've i've made a turning point because there is copious amounts of cigarette smoking in that film and it made me feel sick i was like <laughs> you could like you can smell it you can mm-hmm. smell these guys like troy duffy and his kind of cohort mm-hmm. just these kind of like i don't know and like it's amazing that overnight is made by two guys who were supposed to be his band managers well i they basically made it out of like released it out of spite to be like yes he fucked us over so we're fucking showing people what he's really that's that's kind of like i would definitely give that to your listeners is a bit of a warning now yes it does show the it does show how big a douchebag and fucking moron troy duffy is and how he really read his own press clippings before they were even out however in defense for troy I'm sure there are good moments that we will never see the light of day because he fucked over his buddy so bad. This is like a jilted girlfriend fucking just remembering the bad things you did to her and never the good things you did for her. I would just say for with a grain of salt, if you watch it, just know that, yeah, well, you know, the thing still happened. But when you edit something together, you can truly continue to sell the story that he's a bigger douchebag than maybe he was. Because I'm sure there's got to be some moments where he did something. You're like, man, that was really a good idea. But, you know, I guess when you, you know, when you fuck over the guys you've allowed to film everything you're doing, you got to be careful. You well, got to be careful. I think when we get to the well, release of this film and he eventually goes with like having a deal at Miramax, who obviously in the 90s were like, yeah, oh, shit, to then releasing this film with franchise pictures who like, yeah. and it's like he, I think, I think time and kind of his own actions have kind mm-hmm. of what a fucking uh blowhard he actually is and kind of doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about he, he kind of thought he was going to take hollywood by storm and if if anything he kind of came in shouted a lot and then kind of whimpered out and do you know what I mean only got to make the second one because he got out of court settlement <laughs> yeah and let's be honest he he tried to be blustery like Tarantino. Tarantino talks a lot. He's got a bit of an annoying, gratiating voice. I I can uh, you know say that. But Tarantino had the goods to back it up, and I think that's where the two paths diverge right there. Where I'm not saying that Troy didn't do a fantastic job being able to put together this first film and make it the cult favorite it is, but the second one, I don't know if you'll talk about in this one, but the, he was a one trick pony. It was a one-trick pony where, you know, obviously I'm going to say that Tarantino's not, but I, the proof's in the pudding. Tarantino was able to do more than just one film, and he's done more and has had a longer career. And Troy Duffy is an afterthought that, for most people who aren't Gen X or Millennials, have no fucking clue who we're even talking about at the moment. It's going to yeah. be like a Google search real quick, like, Troy the Duffy. The name's lost <laughs> the history. <laughs> I have a question, like, from watching Overnight, and sorry, Daryl, to kind of keep bang on about it. From the way he talks, I am, like, convinced he's never watched a film. Like, the way he kind of, like, talks about it. Like, he's so impassioned about music, and he's kind of like, like, when when he... he's talking about like on the phone to people, he's like this is the first fucking script i ever wrote man like i've never even written a fucking script before and it's like 
Well, yeah, the proof's in the pudding of the film because no fucking yeah. scene actually ends. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, <laughs> there's so many like dissolves in this that I, I imagine the editor was sat there like, and I don't think you can give them like a. Well, the real winner is the editor in this film. Well, I'm I'm going to assume, and I don't know for sure, but I feel like the editor was like, "All right, here's how we're going to do this film. This is what's going to make this film worthy. We're going to." start off and then we're going to jump to we'll talk about how it works out and i think it works out that way and adding to foe to talk about what's going on and adding it in i think that was the best move they made but i think the editor had a really strong hand in helping shape this film so it would make some sense you could tell in a lot of the scenes and yeah like i don't give any short shrift to the editor because i imagine it's like a lot of the scenes kind of just peter out and then it just kind of dissolves and it's like yeah, it's probably because there is no ending to a lot of these scenes. So they're like, oh, well, we've just got to fucking do something. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It, it might as well be screen wipes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like yes. the, the fucking Windows Movie Maker toolkits come out. <laughs> yeah, we'll do, we'll do one where the screen, like, kind of goes round. We'll do a starburst. We'll do yeah, all this kind of wipe shit. forever, baby. Star wipe forever. <laughs> <laughs> If if he'd had the audacity to use the star wipe, I would have said right now this <laughs> this gets five stars from me. I don't give a but shit. Do you know that there is a sheep one, and it's a very hard one to find. It's an old one. They used to have a sheep one where there was like sheep as would, would walk across the screen, and that would be the wipe. Oh, a bit of that. Yeah, there's no. Yes, yes. If, now that, that that puts coward. it up there. That gets a criterion. <laughs> Whoever got rid of the sheep wipe is a fucking coward. <laughs> Bring, I agree. Agree. Bring back the sheep wipe. Yes. Exactly. Hashtag sheep wipe. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you sheep wipe. You know what? We've got we've got AI. I, I have a feeling that eventually we'll get our own sheep wipe. All kinds of wipes. A hog wipe. Just putting that out there for you. A dong that's wipe. Yeah. That's well. Yeah. I was alluding to that. Yeah. <laughs> like a swinging pendulum, <laughs> and then as it swings back the way, it's a different scene. Amazing. I have, I have some of that. Like a like a car wind wipe. It just yes. wipes away. It just it swings in low, Very and nice. it goes back. And it's like two scenes come through. It's like what? There's all oh, all oh, we thought you were oh, in that no, scene. What's that person? No, you get a you get a peak. You get a peak <laughs> of that. Peaky. Yeah. Uh, brand new term for a peaky blinder. Anywho, <laughs> it'll be. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say like I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about sort of Troy Duffy though because you know you know without having like I'm very sort of keen to watch overnight because it looks like or it sounds like from you describing it I'm gonna watch it be fascinated and just like uh, hashtag cringe like the whole way through which is you know fucking give me that cringe but it's one of those things and where there's there are say flashes of almost brilliance but completely marred at all times by a film being handled by a lunatic amateur yes mm-hmm. um which i don't <laughs> think is unfair to say there is a moment on set in overnight where willem dafoe says like, how does this scene end he says the scene ends when i say fucking cut and it's like okay i guess yeah. this is yeah. the guy we're dealing with. yeah yeah he, this this guy thinks he's fucking Scorsese or something. And the, the the irony of it all is, is the reason this film works is Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is the genius piece in the film, gives it such weight with his character, and I will give him credit. I'll give Here's what I'll give Troy Duffy credit for. I'll give him credit for whoever he allowed or whoever he handpicked to, to eventually pick this cast. Maybe, we'll talk about the two leads in a minute. 
But the side characters are brilliant. The 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 Boston police guys, fucking genius. Um, Ron Jeremy, who back then was wasn't a sore subject. He was the original Golden Hog. Uh, the hog, the Hedgehog himself makes an appearance. That's funny. He's playing on a, a type. Uh, the Italian mob boss. I've already told you before we started recording. Fucking love his quotes. Um, just the guy, the people they get in who aren't the stars besides the foe. They're really good. Like they really did a great job. Like they really helped us. Rocco is phenomenal. <laughs> uh, they're just funny. Like it's it's a it would have been a better. It's been if it had been serious. It'd been great as a comedy, just as a full on fuck up comedy. But it whatever. There's a lot of things I'm sure we're gonna get into that. Just you know, when I rewatched, I was like, this did not age well. I just I was like, wow, this did not age well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yes, so- and I'll say this: it has the most homoerotic scene since the beach volleyball scene in Top Gun original. Top Gun original has is still number one. The beach volleyball shirtless scene is one of the most homoerotic scenes you've ever seen. But that scene in the police thing with the water dripping on them, they sit up and suddenly feel the call of God or whatever. My God, that was homoerotic. I thought the two of them, when they looked at each other, was like, they're brothers, right? Like, are they going to fuck right now? Is that what's about to happen? I remember thinking the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, man, these, wait they're brothers though, right? <laughs> so, anywho. But the extras in the film are what make this work. It's it's a confuddling film. It's like, there are moments you go, fuck this film. And then there are moments you go, fuck, what a film. Like, But that's how you know you're not in good hands as a director. And him to ever talk that way to fucking Willem Dafoe. He's lucky that there wasn't a firefight. Mm-hmm. Defoe's the reason this fucking movie is carried. He, I mean, sure. when he, I mean, yeah. I, it's, he's, he's so juicy when he comes on screen playing a gay FBI guy who sometimes hides it and sometimes flaunts it. And it's just brilliant when he does it too. Does he hide it? Like he's literally- well, when he first, when he first walks there, right? Like when he says a thing, one of the guys kind of gives him that look like, oh, I think he's gay. And then slowly, I think it's when they're at the Russian one and he goes, the gay guy. Right, and he met the whatever, and he goes the gay guy. Like he does, he goes into the full hand on the hip, the gay. So it's like, okay, he's not, he's not hiding it anymore. And then he does the river dance. You just go beautiful. You're like, this is this is it. This is perfect. But that's Defoe, right? Like that's not Troy Duffy saying to do this. This is Willem Defoe. Who the fuck are you talking to like that? I wish Willem Defoe. Now I see this again. Yeah, I'm so right. Me and Willem Defoe, we're riding to find Duffy, and we're fucking him up. That's what's happening. We're punching him in the fucking. Who does he think he is? Talking to Will to fall that way, he should have hog chopped him in the throat. What if they said, just a little hip swing right to the throat and a Troy Duffy? I think that, like, the gay thing is a Troy Duffyism because it feels like a lot of the like side characters in this, like, just have an affectation, like, have to have some kind of thing, they have to have their thing, right? We have like the we have the the owner of the bar, and it's like, hey, like, what's What's funny in the nineties? Like we'll have him have Tourette's. Like do you know what I mean? Like I do love it though. <laughs> Fuck ass. <laughs> he does it in front of the sisters. <laughs> but like, oh. and it, he's got that, and then he's like, "Oh, do you know it's gonna be like?" He's, he's a bit edge lordy. He's like, "Um, you know what? We're gonna make the FBI agent gay." Like you can kind of see like the kind of oh, this this will show him, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you've got people with the like with this thing, but like it's not really doing anything to service the plot in any way. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no real like butting of heads with the Boston police with the fact that Paul yeah. Speck is gay. Do you know what I mean? Like that, mm. that that could have been like 
a decent plot point. Do you know what I mean? And and what I what like what I will say off, off the bat, like with with the kind of credit sequence of this, that it's supposed to be like Troy Duffy kind of like wagging the fucking. Do you know what I mean? Like four clover flag going like Boston's the greatest place ever. He makes Bostonians look like fucking idiots. Like the that police force are like <laughs> are like a kind of do you know what I mean? They can't rub like they can't they can't find their ass from their elbow. And then it takes like you imagine that Paul Smecker is like from out of town and he kind of like <laughs> like hands them their ass on a plate. And it's like the people of Boston are just kind of like uh, uh, what's going on? Like, the- thanks for coming out. <laughs> yeah, they go to that first crime scene, and then Smacker turns up, and the guy's like, "Ah, oh, well, well, this would have happened. This would have happened. We can't find the gun." And then Smacker's like, "Have you looked under his fucking body? It's there. <laughs> Did you not see the giant bullet hole? That's in the dumpster right there." <laughs> uh, like, he's just making everyone look like fuck fools. I so on the on the topic of. You know the character of Smacker being gay in this. I have to sort of draw attention because I was looking at the letterbox reviews for this movie, and one of the reviews gave Boondock Saints a two stars, and it says, and I quote: "In this movie, Willem Dafoe a is gay, b is homophobic, c does drag, d all of the above," which I thought was just great. The one above that says, "I've written better stories on toilet paper, and I don't mean with a pen." <laughs> <laughs> and, and Scott, you're like this. The it was um added by user Tenton Quarantino. Um, <laughs> so from a uh, from I'm 2012. Sure, I'm sure he's a fan of the church. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean, I, I I could ramble on about the letterbox reviews of this all day, but I'll save some to pepper throughout the episode. I don't want to blow the proverbial um at this at this stage as well but i think i think this all sort of calls back to i think the, the for me at least because this is this was a first time watch for me i've oh. it was interesting because boondock saints is like i've heard the name of that movie mm-hmm. for like years and years and years i'm sort of aware there's like a like sort of an adult sort of cartoon series called Boondock Saints, which I don't know if is related in any way. No, it's just called the Boondocks. No, that's the Boondocks. Boondocks. That's right. a phenomenal show, though. That is. I think I just said I just said like Boondock, and I was like, "What does this term mean? Is this kind of some identifying theme about Boondock here?" And I was like, "No, I guess there isn't. I think these are two very different things." I then got it on Blu-ray. If I'm going to hold off until the recording, still reading all the stuff about this movie on the back of it. And then watched the movie, and then my immediate takeaway was good moments, bad moments, terrible moments. <laughs> but my headline was, Willem Dafoe fucking saved this thing. A hundred percent. Like, I understand why it's kind of... Um, <clears throat> Why it would have built a cult status at this point, and I can understand, uh, as you said in the facts and the figures, Petros, like the ninety-one percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, when the word of mouth thing and the groundswell, and people go out and support this stuff. And this is one of those movies where I kind of think, on a first viewing, okay, some stuff I can take, some stuff I can leave, some stuff I think we can agree probably not aged that well. But it's also one of those ones that I think if I'd watched it for like 20, 15 years ago when I was a teenager, I'd be like, this fucking rips, man. This is fucking sweet. Mm. But then with the benefit of like a little bit older, a little bit wiser, I also, I, I think we said the term edgelord. There's a lot of edgelord <laughs> stuff in this yeah. where I'm kind of like, oh, it's a bit eye-rolly. But one that I think the stuff in there that I do like and it could grow me with like a second watch. So like, 
it's stuck with me and there's been bits of it I've been thinking about like Willem Dafoe conducting an orchestra walking down an alleyway and the fight when he's describing like the firefight scene like that was a fire I think that segment is the best moment of the film but in like, my opinion, that John, that is yeah. the if Troy Duffy it can get credit for anything, they're firing on all cylinders at that moment. That but, is one of my favorite moments. When I saw it again, that's why I've sent you guys the memes. But it is Defoe is at his Defoeist, whatever. You, I mean, he starts off calmly, and by the time he's done, his tie's undone, his shirt's open, he's sweating like he got in a fight. He's lost his mind. He's gone through the whole thing. Even the little tongue in cheek with what's his name, that fucking moron cop from Boston. What about one guy with six guns? <laughs> he finally got it right for the first time. <laughs> and it's just, there's just levels of like when he drops down next to him and he's shooting, like it's yeah. brilliant. And I, you know, a lot of, I'll give credit to Troy for that, but I also give credit for the amazing acting from Willem Dafoe in that moment. And it's just, ah, it's, gl- it's glorious. And then obviously your boy from um, across the pond there, uh, Connolly. I mean, when we get him to El Duce, he's a badass when he shows. I mean, that's our real first look at him. I was, I mean, it's one of those moments you're like, okay, you sit down and you go, okay, I, you know, everything I've watched up until this, and even after I go, this, this made at least worth the one viewing. You go, this moment was like, it's, it's like um, people who don't understand Mandy. If you just see, like, we've had a conversation. If you see the bathroom scene, you're like, what is this ridiculousness? You need the whole movie to understand that you don't need the rest of the movie for this moment in this movie you can watch this and walk away and be like that was a great short film that sequence yeah you put it is 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 an amazing short film and i think i will watch it like that i'm I'm sure that scene is on on youtube and i will kind of Mm -hmm. digest it and i for me it feels like the rest of the film like because obviously in that scene we've got that like really ingenious thing of like defoe is explaining the scene but it's also in the scene mm-hmm. like a kind of great visual trick great but yeah 100 but then it is kind of like up in the ante of what he's essentially been doing for the rest of the film which is like it kind of plays out like a, like an episode of columbo almost like in you know I mean? he turns up to the crime scene we're getting flashbacks cutting back and forth to what like what he's describing what actually happened and stuff like that like they're trying to figure it out and it just feels like a filmmaker who is going I've got this one sequence. I'm going to kind of like basically write a load of test runs for that sequence. And like, it's really episodic and it's Mm -hmm. like thing. And I was like, when you get to that one, it's like, I don't know if the journey was worth it, but like, I will take this scene out on its own and be like, fucking give me that. And like, that's when I felt like I was watching a competent filmmaker. Cause I think that that idea of Defoe being there, do you know what I mean like kind mm-hmm. of oh, almost, like, yeah. almost like a Greek chorus to yep. what is going actually going on is like that's great that's kind of fourth wall breaking kind of f- like really fun visual storytelling and is exciting whereas like just getting the cut cuts back and forth or like doing like him explaining what happened then getting a flashback is just kind of like b-tech tarantino do you know what I mean well, it's I, that's of, where I wonder if because he had this one scene written out and he does the one where he does the cross pistols where that's kind of, that's where I wonder if like the editor was like, Hey, I know we've got this one scene where he's in it. I know that's kind of what you're leading up to. What if we start the film and do this, we stop and then we show what happens. And then that kind of makes more sense. But you know, but you're right. It, it's if he had some hubris and a little bit more uh, knowledge, 
there there's glimpses of like possibility of him being a good filmmaker. Well, there is a flash. You know what I mean? There's there's a moment where you go, that's not, you're like, man, that's actually really amazing. And then, and then you get some of the other moments you go, the fuck was that? You know well, I mean? It's a director wanting to have his cake and eat it because this yeah. film could have been, opens up with Paul Schmecker trying to figure out who these fucking guys mm-hmm. are. And he doesn't realize until he has that moment with them yeah, it, it, there's a version of this where he finds out after the the confession booth scene and then the tides change and he teams up with them. Whereas this, it's like, oh, we're going to, we, we, we want to show loads of the stuff with the twins who for my money are dull as dishwater. Do you know what I mean? It's like, they don't look like twins either. Yeah. Well, yeah, a, a lot of the kind of like stuff online for this film like really labors the point of fraternal twins. It's like, y- you think? It's like well, nobody was thinking they're fucking identical twins, were they? Well, and then the, the little the little twist at the end is they eventually call on this guy El Duce, who ends up being their dad, and they're surprised that it's their dad. And the only reason he even knows that their son is because... Because he's stealing from Tarantino. He definitely enjoyed the Ezekiel 2517 moment a little too much. And then he comes up with his own bullshit prayer. They then use to kill people with or whatever bullshit he comes up with. But then like they're there about to shoot somebody or they're putting the, oh, Rocco dies. And they put the pennies over his eyes and they say the prayer. And of course the father comes in and he's going to kill them. And he's like, wait a minute. I know that prayer. No people know that prayer is the people of my family. And can we also just say the Irish accents slip in and slip out Boy, more than Leonardo gosh. DiCaprio's in fucking gangs in New York. All right. So Leo gets a lot of Leo and, and uh, what's her name? Cameron Diaz get a lot of slack for their bad accents and that deservedly. So, but these may be worse. They start off with it. Then they don't have it. And then they do have it. And it's like fucking abysmal, abysmal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, say what you want about Norman Reedus. I think it all worked out well for him in the end. Oh, he has a great turn for his life. A hundred percent. hundred percent. But these, yeah, I think I agree with all those points. Like one, like the Irish accents were either, though they just weren't there or at the best, it was like just a fucking mumble. Like, yeah. even the Russian guys in the bar, that was awful. They, they don't even sound Russian. Schwarzenegger's done a better Russian in Red Dawn. It's like, what the fuck? Duh, we are going to leave now. It's like, wow, this is like bad Russian accents 101. Like, What's even better than that is when they speak Russian to them, it's been like officially translated and it's just fucking gobbledygook. It's just made up. So when like the twins are speaking Russian, it's not <laughs> Russian at all. But but in fairness, Americans don't fucking know. So in fairness, we're fucking done. We don't fucking know. You could honestly, you could literally do and put up whatever, and we're like, yes, uh, that sounds right. That sounds right. There were subtitles, and it had me fooled. So So you need (laughs) subtitles. I think (laughs) I think this is kind of the. um, I think exactly as you headlined it there, Petros. You know, with these. D- d- twins uh, you know ugh, god but b- boring they're just very like they speak these languages that doesn't really come into it it's just a thing that they mm-hmm. know it's just a it's thing a pl- that they it's a can plot do point. it's a plot point so that he understands when he gets the phone call because he's got the pager he knows russian and that's how we're able to now keep going on killing people because like, the story goes from we almost got killed because we got in a fight on saint patrick's day with these russian and then we now the translate this powerful. into 
killing people, which, and then the beginning of the movie makes no fucking sense either, right? Because they're all doing the whole fucking prayer and whatever, and they walk up and, and no one, and they go up and kiss, whatever fucking awful horseshit wannabe Catholic bullshit that is. But are we, and like people are like, oh, shit, it's okay. Like, are they already the boondock saints at that point? Because yeah. after they kiss Jesus, they then go work in a meatpacking plant and fight a fucking lesbian, which I was like, wait a minute. Because when I rewatched the movie, I was like, it's been a while. I was like, wait a minute, is this, are we flashing back? But then I realized, no, this is St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, and, then, and then they walk and go, yeah, it seems like the Monsignor has got the point or whatever fucking horrible acts that they do. And then you're like, okay. I was like, all right, so they already, so we're flashing back now. And then I was like, no, we're not flashing back. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, then why do these two assholes get to walk up in the middle of church and kiss the Jesus while this guy's fucking talking? Like, they're fucking meat packers at this point. Fuck these two guys. <laughs> you might be able to answer this, Scott, because you saw this at the time. Did you ever think they looked cool? I knew that they were trying to be... Reservoir, they were trying to have their own version of Tarantino's because at the time it's still the black suits, skinny ties. Tarantino still is in that. No, so they they were doing their own version of this is now our thing. So they're going to be a Boston version. So they're going to wear the the like the the fisherman's petticoat and whatever else, and that's where they're going to go with it. And I never thought they looked cool. I thought their father looked cool. Billy Connor looks fucking cool. Yeah, but he's got the beard. He's got the cigar. Like he looks like a bad motherfucker. And then, obviously, the foe is just the bonkers, and you're just like, yes, this is everything I want. And so those two, like, let's be honest, it's about them, but we don't give a fuck about them. We yeah. do enjoy the things that happen. So we like Rocco because Rocco's fucking great. We like all the other people, and we're just glad that. Don't speak for me, Scott. What's that? <laughs> well, so don't speak for me. If you don't like Rocco, fuck yourself, all right? Who ain't not scared? Because when. They're on screen, like you said. They're just there's like milk toast. Like, ah, oh, really? And look it, not their fault. They're not the greatest actors in the world at the time. And there's some there's a real heavyweight that's really dragging them through. But they're just kind of like, eh, eh. It's it's like they don't they're they're suddenly hitmen. Like and like I said, this could have been com- com- comedic, right? Because you know, like e- even the first time where they fight for each other, you kind of go, okay, I, I get this, right? He's gonna try to save his brother. You understand it. But the moment they do the sit up with the chest out and the rain's falling on their shirtless and they look at each other really, really homoerotic. And you're like, what movie is this about to become? From that moment on, they suddenly become, you know, even though they, they fumble into falling out of the, you know, the sky and the rope and all that funny stuff and they kill people. All right. Still comedy. And then they start to become serious. Then it becomes like, no, we're a gangster film now. And it's like, yeah. but, but you really aren't. You know what I mean? And now we're suddenly pretending that they are. And then I guess we're supposed to think, well, they're really good because. Billy Connolly was really good, but shooting people is something you learn. It's not a DNA thing. <laughs> like, like if you're a great shot, it's because you've worked at it. You don't pass well, it along. It's not like yeah, it's a is, DNA trait. Is El Duce a good shot? Because he he has an opportunity to shoot three guys on a porch who don't know he's there, and he misses all fucking three of them. Apart well, from you got to remember, my kids always ask me. <laughs> this is gonna be the biggest. This is gonna be the biggest dickhead answer ever. My kids always ask me why that happened. I go, it was in the script. it's in the script it's like he's supposed to be this excellent shot but on this particular day he only can shoot off a finger and wing one of his children and then he gets shot in the shoulder it's like and that's and that's where that scene kind of look it's so maddening so it it, it was a fun scene so i I, you kind of overlook it but that's where even if you want it to be really critical that's where that scene falls apart right like why is he going to show up to start shooting he can't hit nobody they can't hit him but yet when they fall out of the ceiling upside down, tied together to rope, they're fucking James Bond level 
bullseyes, like, doo, 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 knocking everyone down. But then, yeah. I mean, they're literally, they're in a stationary position, which is a better way to shoot. And he's slowly walking. No one's hitting anybody. So, look, he had a good budget. He was going to use it. We got a lot of squibs today. We're going to make a lot of things explode and get shot. So He was a good shot when the script called for him to exactly. be a good shot. Exactly. Exactly. A good shot, and then the, the the only the like best thing that they did was like he jumped off a fucking like what twenty story building and took someone out with a toilet. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, like, that's ridiculous, but I'll allow it. Like you know, this setting up what this film is, and then they are fifty percent of the time they're a good shot, and then the dad can't recognize them unless they're praying. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like I'll allow this because it looks fucking cool. I was like, you know, Troy Duffy, by all accounts, you're an absolute jerk of a human being, but this scene fucking rips. So I'm kind of just going to give this whole fucking thing the benefit of the doubt. But th- th- this is the point, though. Like, the-, the brothers are like dull. They just decide, oh, we're going to be vigilantes now because we both had a, 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 a air quote, religious awakening in a prison cell at exactly the same time. And now we're vigilantes. And the Boston police are completely on side with it. They're cool with it. There's the local support for them. And then the whole thing with like Paul Schmecker, like he's trying to catch them. It's like, well, who the fuck's leaking this stuff to the, to the press? Like who's giving them all this information. And then he gets so drunk. He's like, actually, you know what? Vigilant is kind of fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Really what it is, is Paul Schmecker wanted to dress in drag. And this was his opportunity. He's like, you know what? We're going to do it. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's For the script, was like, we got to get this guy in drag. How do we get him in drag? Got it. He, too, is now a vigilante. Because he's like, who the fuck are these guys? And like, he's all upset. <laughs> then he's like, wait a minute. They've got the right idea. I was like, what? Yeah, Willem Dafoe, I mean, you know, this brings you back to another section of the episode called the Letterbox Reviews of the Boondock Saints. One was... A two-star review that said, I didn't want to see Willem Dafoe dressed in drag, wriggling on the floor, moaning, come to mama. But here we are anyway, so let's just roll with it. And then another one who gave it three and a half stars said, Willem Dafoe, if he took his yas pills. (laughs) (laughs) However, when he does sit up after he shoots him, that face he gives, that expression of killing the guy in cold blood when he's not supposed to, it was kind of a cool creepy expression that is a moment that could have been a change for him right like it could have been that turning point like oh the switch flips and now he's on the other side he's doing the green goblin type thing where oh oh, now i'm no longer the good osborne i'm now this fucking guy but it's a moment that's completely just it's just a moment right it's just it it looked cool but we're not gonna take this any further we're just that's it we're fucking done with it i think we could have like spent the our time talking about this film and just kind of writing a far better version because there's a, there could have been some con there's no real conflict in paul schmecker do you know what i mean it's kind of like like you're saying the script needs it to go in this way that he somehow teams up with them do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. there's just so many questions. Like, how well, how did they get his phone number? So they may have, you may have given him a card at the beginning, but like, you're just kind of like, well, what is going on here? Like, why is it, why is he now on side with them? Like, and to the point of Willem Dafoe and drag, um, I've got to say like the, the way he's styled, I couldn't help but think of uh, Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill, if you've ever seen that, Michael Caine. Very, very similar kind of like stark, like the the wig and stuff like that and the kind of makeup and the neckerchief. And it is kind of like, 
I remember before seeing this film, just seeing gifts of Willem Dafoe and Drag and being like, what fucking film is that from? Because that looks bonkers. And like that scene is bonkers. Like the kind of like when he, when he's talking to that guy and the guy's like, oh, she's a real hard piece he's of like, He's always <laughs> giving us primo bucks. Yeah. <laughs> which, makes, which makes me wonder. I feel like, because uh, Boston has, the, <laughs> Boston is the birthplace of uh, douchebaggery and the frat boy thing. But I can't tell if Troy Duffy is a homophobe and being funny or might be a homophobe because he has to because of where he's from, but also understands the funniness of having these guys not see that William Defoe is clearly a man. Like there's a there's there's a small speck of genius in that where like where he says he's always giving his primo boxes and it to have a guy kissing like like if you're a real homophobe, you don't have this scene on, you know, they don't kiss. We don't have him wake up with the guy. I know we get that moment. He gets to say the F word. So, but it's this moment in the house. I kind of go, okay, is he like, is just, is Troy Duffy like un, unsuspectingly showing his cards that he's no. not the guy he portrays or is he just, am I giving him too much fucking credit for that little moment? What I think like, cause the way Paul Smecker is portrayed, like apart from these kind of like catty asides, mm-hmm kind of like well we're gonna have to ask your mother if your friends can sleep <laughs> like when he's kind of like doing all that stuff and really putting on that like affected like do you know what I mean like I very camp voice oh, he's so good like, he does it though he's yeah, so when he's, yeah no, no, it's, it's a great performance but when he's not doing that it's like troy duffy is like well th- th- he's all right as a gay guy because look how ungay he is like when yeah, he's in yeah, the bar yeah. and he's like he's like give me another drink fairies and it's kind of like and that scene you talked about where like his his boyfriend or his lover is trying to cuddle him and he calls him he calls him an f slur and it's like oh the the like this is how i want my gay men do you know what i mean i want him to be one of the boys who like uh, occasionally will go like I want a cream cheese bagel. Like, so what you're like, saying is, is that Troy Duffy's actually closet homosexual who is putting on a tough guy act. What you're saying is basically we're having a, he is not noticing that he's having an actual therapeutic moment by putting this guy on screen and being able to live out the fantasies he can't talk about because he's too tough. I'm just saying, I'm not saying Troy Duffy's a fluff, but I think Troy Duffy's a fluff. I think he is. Well, I think I like Troy Duffy does not care for anyone, but Troy this Duffy. Is tr- and like <laughs> I had a buddy used to say, if I wasn't in me, I'd be on me. <laughs> That's Troy Duffy. Like if like there is like basically like a sexual assault in this film that's played for laughs. Do you know what I mean? Like Rocco, oh, like yeah, 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 like tits up a woman who's like passed out. And then says, I'll tip her. Yeah. We're supposed to audit as an audience go like, what a funny, he's a funny guy. And it's like no, he's a fucking scumbag. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing with with Rocco because he's kind of I don't know what my opinion on like not what my opinion on Rocco is, but more like figuring out what he's supposed to be. Because he's this guy who's like friends with the brothers, and then he's working for um sort of the he, main. He's a, guy he's a plot point. He's, he's a plot character. If we don't have him, we can't now go and kill the Italians. That's yeah. that's it. It's the beeper. The, the le- knowing knowing Russian is how we're able to take the beeper, get the phone call, and understand Russian, and know that we can go kill these guys. And then knowing Rocco is how we get our in to kill the Italians. That's it. It's the only. And I I kind of like the guy who plays Rocco. I think he's kind of a funny guy. But if Ro- Rocco's only there to service 
the plot of the film. And he actually ends up being the only guy you really care about. I, I mean, I when he got killed, I was like, damn, I wish the other two got killed. <laughs> I was like, let's keep Rocco along. We can get rid of these two guys. He's he's less of a of a milk toast paperweight than these two. Yeah, and his yeah. his whole thing that like they only go after the Italians. It's not like that they they have like this personal like and I don't I don't understand their moral code. I really don't understand their moral code of like. It's, it's all in they, their. It's all in their prayer. If you listen to the prayer, like <laughs> I have no idea like how they decide because it's like they kill Ron Jeremy's character, then they just kill another couple of guys who are trying to whack off. Do you know what I mean? Just for fun, and it's like, well, you've kind of like negated the fact of like being on this mission from god because it's like you're just letting your dickhead friend shoot a couple of people because he wants to be white fucking up like Mm -hmm. can you have a moral code and still just like shoot people for fun i don't think so their buddy is also trying to work his way up in the mob but he gets a pass because he's a fucking lowlife who only hands takes people their sandwiches and almost got killed because he got set up because he's at that russian thing to kill the russians he's there to do mob stuff but he gets a pass because they know him as well. Given off the, the first opportunity, he's like, "Fuck those guys! I don't like. I don't want anything to do with them." Yeah, yeah. This guy, this guy, he's bad. He's bad. Like, let, let's fucking kill them. And it's like, well, you've just killed two people in cold fucking blood. Like three people. You killed a fucking like the first. If Rocco had come back and told them by their own moral standards, they should have gone, "Fucking see you later. You're out of the film." But like Troy Duffy's like. Well, the script says the Rocco makes it to the third act, so I guess we're <laughs> yeah. sticking around. Let's let's kind of get rid of the moral code that these guys have got. Oh, don't you just love plot armor? Isn't, <laughs> isn't that a good thing? And I suppose just just reading now, just like the quotes of their prayers. So basically, they they kill the people that they deem to be the evil of the world, unless you're Rocco, because like another you're film a I've seen funny, before. funny guy. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. It'll come to me. Go ahead. You you read the prayer. It'll come to me, probably. I'm sure. Yeah. It's just basically if you're well, what is it? If one day you will look behind you and you will see we three, which just makes me think of like the theme tune to Walker Texas Ranger. When the eyes of the ranger are upon you, any wrong you do, you're gonna see. When you're in Texas, look behind you because that's where the ranger's gonna be. That's my fucking prayer. Fucking Boondock Saints. Yeah. Chuck Norris wants his fucking prayer back. <laughs> you maniacs. So does uh, Jules Winfield. <laughs> we all want our <laughs> prayers back. God damn it! Yeah, I mean this is this thing. Like, I, I get that they have a creed, and I get that they have a. They don't a twist. Well, I say a twisted creed, a twisted code. I mean, even though it's riddled with as many fucking holes as that house after it's been shot up, <laughs> uh, and you know you can sort of pick stuff in there. I mean. You can sort of tell, I, I think it's it, Troy Duffy saying, well, if we do this to get to that, and in his head he's, he's sort of dotting stuff to make it work together and, you know, get from point A to point B. But I think my my sort of biggest gripe is, like, yeah, we sort of say the overarching thing of this movie is things happen because the script demands that they do and certain characters get this plot armor but you know we look at this podcast with a willem dafoe lens and i just wish it had made a bit more sense other than paul schmecker got drunk one day and thought yeah killing people's fucking sick um <laughs> in drag no less because <laughs> you can only kill people in drag best way to do it so he couldn't have just showed up rang the door with a guy opens the door and just shot him like like you know like a sniper or like a, a hitman would no troy duffy the duffer it's like what if oh hear me out not that i will wear drag all right 
But what if someone were to wear drag? Not me, of course. I don't even think about wearing drag. Don't even think that way. But what if some guy did? Not me, of course. Not me. What if someone else draws up in drag to kill a guy? Wouldn't it be easier to... No, no. They got to be in drag. Not me, though, of course. Someone <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, like when Ben Affleck tries to ask um, Michael Bay about, shouldn't we just send astronauts to learn to oil drag? Fuck you, Ben Affleck. Was sending in the guy in drag, you understand me? Wouldn't it be easier when he just shot him at the door? No. In drag. Tell now, me. what film could not be elevated by putting one of its lead characters in drag? That's the question. But... Uh, I'm going to ask, was the my, unless I missed it, um, and I, f- I have a feeling I know the answer here, was there a reason that Schmecker sort of went to that house in drag, or was that just a thing that happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. there is a reason. Up. Troy Duffy's homophobia. Yeah. Well, you think uh, well, well, gay men enjoy <laughs> drag? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Troy Duffy's yeah. watched a lot of Italian mob movies and figures. Well, if a girl shows up, we can just make it like every week. Whoever <laughs> these guys are sending primo box, <laughs> so it's just it's primo box day. Like they know they're being hunted, but someone shows at the door that it doesn't even. They're like, "What do you?" And that one guy's like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Come on, take me four or five minutes." He's like, "All right, make it quick." It's like, it, yeah, it's yeah, you know. Again, this is why Troy Duffy is. I don't know where he is at the moment. He's probably in Boston. Not in drag, Petros. He's yeah. not in drag right now as we talk. All right? He's out doing something manly. He's probably beating up, he's probably <laughs> yeah. beating up a couple of homeless guys. You know, he's being manly. He's not in drag. Whatever you say, he's not in drag. So, <laughs> he's not being racist with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think to bring it back to overnight, when you've got a clip of Mark Wahlberg going, it's the fucking best script I've ever read, man. It's like, you know you're in for a tough time. Do you know what I mean? If Mark Wahlberg says the best script he's ever read, like, I'm, I, I've got questions if Mark Wahlberg can read. Do you know what I mean? Like, so like, it's fucking, it's in Mark's fairness, he was just getting out of being a fucking underwear model and in the Funky Bunch. So, you know, he still, <laughs> he didn't really start to act about 2000s. Because while I do love a PTA's uh, What's It Called movie, he's Boogie. not great in that. He's not great in Boogie Nights. He's, he's, oh, he's okay. You can tell he's still learning his acting chops. He's gotten much better over time. Because by the time we get to 2006 and he's doing The Departed, Wahlberg's on his game. What? Mm. This time frame, you know. But he, I think he made the right decision there, the sliding doors moment of him being in this or him being in. But, uh, could it, but would he have been worse? Would it have been worse? Would it not have been a little bit better if maybe Wahlberg's in there? Because then we could have just maybe gone with full Boston accents. I don't mean for him. I don't mean for him. I mean, like, that's his career yeah. kind of in the skids, I reckon. I reckon that's like. Or or at least he's, he's in kind of actor jail for a few years. <laughs> He's on the Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it, it it turned out well for some of them. So you know, only not Willem, a- but I think Willem had already had cachet, and he was so good in the performance. People kind of like sides up the fact of what this movie's like. You know, Willem the phone's really good. Did you know he's in drag? <laughs> Troy Duffy's not in drag. Willem phone's okay. Sorry. <laughs> you know, we, we print the headlines that we want to see on this uh, on this show here. Yeah, it, it, I mean, my notes were like Wilma Defoe. Hello, madam. <laughs> um, I think he I, like that's the thing. He is great. Like even in that scene, as much as it kind of comes from a problematic place from Troy Duffy's mind, like Defoe's Defoe's convincing and great, and kind of like relishes the opportunity. And like that is a thing. Like this film, I, I've looked. There are sizzle reels on 
YouTube of just Willem Dafoe moments from this film, and it is a delight to watch. It's just everything else. <laughs> and one of my notes is that fucking religious music is annoying the fuck out of me right now. Oh. Every time, dum, 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 dum. I was like, fucking kill these guys already. Like, I was starting to root for the villains, I'll be honest with you. I was hoping that maybe this was a director's cut, and Connolly came around the corner, and that was it. The movie was shorter, but we didn't get that version. We did not get yeah. that version. I think there's a more interesting prequel with a 25-year prior six-gun McGee Il Dolce <laughs> going around Boston and doing his thing. I think there's a more interesting That's what prequel. number two should have been. I have only seen bits and pieces of the sequel. It is definitely not the movie. I mean, we all know why Troy Duffy only directed two movies. Have you seen the sequel, Petros? Because I'm, I'm assuming, obviously, you, Daryl, have it because this is the first time you saw this movie. So, I mean, I'm sure as soon as we're done recording, you're popping in. All Saints Day and taking your shirt off, having your partner drip water on you and just rise up. Kind of You've got me banged to rights. <laughs> That's exactly my night as, as planned. I believe we have to cover it for the podcast. I believe that um, <laughs> you're uh, you're contractually obligated because the foe somehow was suckered back in. Yeah, you know it, baby. Yeah, I believe he's in it. So, so yeah. I guess we're watching that. Yeah. Like, if you can't um, find another fucking clown who wants to who's dumb enough to do it i will s- gladly pop back in to see if it's worth it because yeah. why not i don't again, think he's got as big a role but i think he is in it like is he in drag i'm sure he's in drag some tells me he's in drag someone's in drag in that film not troy <laughs> duffy of course but someone is <laughs> what's confusing is is david del rocco's back in it as well so god knows what the fuck they're doing he's doing the old asian cinema thing like when Chow Yun-Fat was killed in uh, A Better Tomorrow, so he could be in A Better Tomorrow too. He's a cousin or a twin. There's a well, bro- he's called Rocco again. He's called Rocco. So I don't think he's a cousin or a <laughs> maybe, twin. Maybe he's Rocco's. Maybe it's a ghost. He's like a Jedi <laughs> ghost. <laughs> God, I, I hope You know what? I, I don't want to ruin it, but it is called All Saints Day. If they somehow find a way that he's resurrected, I swear to fucking God, that's genius. I mean, Criterion Collection. We need to say justice for Duffy. Well, what, what, <laughs> one thing we can have hold us solace is Willem Dafoe is uncredited in Boondock Saints 2. He was, he's there like, <laughs> I'll be in it, but don't fucking tell anyone, okay? <laughs> don't tell anyone. Shh. So that does mean you're technically not obligated. No, we are obligated. not a credit. I'm, I'm looking. He, the man himself, has said, look, I really isn't. That's not me. I was AI'd in before AI was a thing. It's, it's it's on the Wikipedia. It's, it's, on, on, the, it's on the IMDb. We are, we are bound by blood to the wiki. Okay, so... Or you'll be we, hogged. We, we we did our blood packs pre-season one, so yeah. it's it's in the ether. It's in it's in the stratosphere. It's got to be done. We had we had a shared moment of a call from call from God, <laughs> and we just went, you know what? We got to do everything. It's on the Wikipedia page. We got to do it. <laughs> We can't. We can't have the same logic of this film. What suits us? Okay, we can't just pick and choose. <laughs> what if I the- edit the Wikipedia page real quick, though? <laughs> Change back. We've tried that. <laughs> yeah, we've we've tried. We've tried. But uh, they say what you want about the uh, the wiki people, but they're very very quick on that stuff. I think I've read that he is in it. So you know, I th- it counts. It fucking <laughs> counts. So. You know, but I, th- I think I watched some like fairly recent-ish interviews that Defoe did. You can find him on YouTube where he's talked about some recent movies, and 
for all intents and purposes, he's, he's spoken with some fair positivity towards his experience on Boondock Saints. And I think he, he liked the idea that Troy Duffy was like a self-starter. And he, even though the movie was a gamble, he liked the idea that Duffy had this passion project. But he's also said about the reaction to it, his direct quote was, I can tell when a certain person comes up to me what movie they're going to talk about. It's that type of movie. <laughs> if he can smell them before he can see them, it's like Boondock Saints, here we go. <laughs> if his jeans may or may not be bedazzled a bit, and he wears tight T-shirts, and you can smell them from 20 feet away, there's a good chance. If he's got a Red Sox hat on, there's a good chance he's going to come up. There's a chance. If this guy likes just slice, he's probably gonna like the boondocks. Hey, but I, th- yeah, I think on sort of on, on Defoe's sort of takeaway of the movie, and I, you know, I think we're all skirting around the big business here. It's probably time to start coming to a close on these saints of boondock uh, with our wrap up business. So the first point of business we attend to in the wrap up is when we look at Willem Defoe and his performance in this movie. We ask the question. Does he do deface? So, uh, Scott, we begin with guests first. For you, does Willem Dafoe do deface in the Boondock Saints? I'm assuming deface is a good thing. Yes, I forget. Well, does he do, does he do? Does he do a face that is kind of recognizably Dafoe, like a a rictus grin? Is it? Yes, there he does. Would... He does a deface. He grins a lot in this, even with his affection, even his affected effeminate gay thing that Troy Duffy has him do. He has the smile, like the whole, when you said, we'll have to see if your mother, we'll have to talk to your mother, see if you can go. Totally does it. Totally hits a face. 100% he does a deface. That is a defect. (laughs) It's a defigure. So that's one deface there. Petros, same question, deface, yay or nay? It was a fucking ambush! That alone is like kind of fucking put that on the Mount Rushmore of the faces. Like him kind of doing all that stuff. Him talking to the twins when he's in the in the police station and they talk about the languages. He's kind of got this like Cheshire grin on his face. I think you can pick out loads in this. Like there is kind of him river dancing we haven't talked about the river dance like that just feels like a moment where it's defoe going like let me just have fun with this one troy like let's let's do it like this guy this guy's kind of off the wall yeah he's he's defacing all over the place and if it weren't for the deface this film would be the stinker i'll tell you that for sure <laughs> yeah i think it's going to be three for three under faces from me i mean i think there's there's an argument to be made that this is probably up there one of if not the defoest of defoe movies um and especially with the faces being most scenes he's in we're getting a little bit of something because his entire body's at work if he ain't river dancing he's conducting an orchestra in his mind if he ain't conducting an orchestra in his mind he's having some kind of as we said some colombo vietnam flashback to a to a crime scene that let's be honest he's imagined happened we don't really know um but it's it's a three for three on the uh on the defaces from me uh now one of our big questions our second question of the wrap-up is um when we look at the character not willem dafoe but the character of paul schmecker does the character have bde big dafoe energy big dick energy uh scott we throw it to you bde what are you saying for our buddy Paul over here? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Like Petros was saying, we didn't talk about the river dance. The one I can't believe I forgot the moment, but when 
He's even, you know, there was a fire fight. And he's doing the whole orchestra for reasons no one knows. And maybe this was, I'm assuming this is this is Defoe's choice. But he pulls out a service revolver and fires gunshots into the air in slow-mo. He, this is one of my favorite Defoe performances. And this character is fucking, it has to be up there. If it's not in his, and obviously you guys are going to go through and people will probably debate me on this. Debate, get it? Maybe de wrong. This is, in my opinion, on his Mount Rushmore top five of just fucking awesome performances and characters. Even if the man who created him made him a, is because he's a homophobe, Defoe sidesteps it and really makes this such an enjoyable, like, like you said, Petros, without Defoe, this is a de fucking disaster. So, mm-hmm. yes. This is this character is fantastic. He's one of my favorites. So that is definite some BDE there from Scott. Okay, the BDE swipe. The dick is just swiping back and forth. That's where you need to swipe. We swipe through the scenes and you get the dick from and then you see just nothing but his scenes. Yeah, just give me the the uh the Schmackapacker super cut of this movie. I think that's, <laughs> that's the one I want. Uh but Petros naturally same question. BDE, yes or no? Oh, Schmecker's pecker is absolute monster i reckon i reckon like the fact like the way he turns up in this film do you know what I mean he kind of like really just whops it out to him and like, like sassing people like and kind of being like go get me a go get me a coffee and stuff like that that's like real big dick energy and he's a man who knows like he knows his job and he's just kind of like boom 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 he's just fucking doing it and like i think you've got to have big dick energy like to to to, to get in drag do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think just that, 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 <laughs> and it, it is kind of part and parcel of being in drag. You got to have some balls on you. Do you know what I mean? Like, you got, you got, you got the way you get in drag. Like, I know you, like, <laughs> you got to have some balls on you. And I think, like, the fact that that is his, like, go to move for, for infiltrating this house is like, well, how can you have small dick energy? And you're like, fuck it. I'm dressing up as a woman to infiltrate this house. Like, he's like, I'm fucking, I'm Paul Schmecker. The pecker's coming out to play and he's popping people off. Yeah. I, like, you don't get, you don't get bigger, bigger dick energy than Defoe in this film. I think, like, he kind of, this film rests on Schmecker's pecker. <laughs> this film is held up by Schmecker's pecker. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, the, I think the consensus is we're two for two. I think it's going to be some um, big old Defoe energy from me, some big old. Packer schmacker, smacker packer energy. I mean, just to, you know, the first scene is in just to sort of barge into that alley, tell Boston's finest question mark. Like, <laughs> you're all fucking wrong. Get me a fucking bagel, you absolute schmucks. And then like, river dance at a crime scene, just take out falls left, right, and center. Um, just do what you want, basically. Because from what I've gathered from this film, there's no fucking rules in Boston. <laughs> you do whatever the fuck you want, and then just to to rock up to a criminal's house, uh, just in in drag for no reason other than script, other than Troy Duffy, uh, and just fucking tongue a guy and then shoot him in the goddamn face. <laughs> Massive energy, huge, huge energy. So that's a clean sweep on that one. Did any of you notice before we before we wrap this up? There is a moment when they're in the 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 hotel room. 
and he has blood on his gloves and he keeps like putting his fingers through his head. Yeah. I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That man will tamper a crime scene like there's no fucking tomorrow. He figured the Boston police already did anyway. So what the fuck's <laughs> it matter? <laughs> he could have come in jizzing all over the place. It wouldn't have changed. That was probably already fucked up. Yeah. Boston police have farted all over the crime scene anyway. What's a bit of blood in the hair? So. <laughs> At this stage. But that brings us to the final, and some say most important question, is our rating of the Boondock Saints. So if you've not listened to the show before, we don't just give it a simple thumbs up or a thumbs down. We rate it in classic Willem style by giving the movie a defriend or a defoe and our final thoughts on the movie as well. So, Scott, as the guest, again, we throw to you first the Boondock Saints for you, is that a friend? Is it a defoe? That is fucking hard. It really is. Because to give it a defoe means that it's not worth a cent. And that's not true Because because of defoe. Oh, I'm going to give it a friend for one reason and one reason. And that's Willem Defoe. Like you said, when the moments he is on screen are worth one viewing. You This is... This is a movie you need to see at least once just so you can see Willem Dafoe's performance. Uh, maybe maybe one of those things on YouTube you could go to and you could watch, you know, just his moments. But I really do feel like you need some of the precursor stuff in. Like, you can kind of skip through some of the other bullshit when he's not on. But whenever he shows up, he's with the Boston Police Department. And he's doing, like, just that middle scene alone it is worth seeing it. Because while Duffy did a great job with this one moment. It all does hinge on Defoe's ability to act in it. And the thing is, is what we didn't even talk about is all the main actors are in the scene and the only person we're all watching is Willem Defoe. All I know is they come in in ski masks. They may not even be them. They could be extras. I would not know. Someone told me that there were extras playing that part. I would not know because I'm only watching Willem Defoe the entire fucking time. And it is just for that alone. You have to see it because this is your Defoe podcast. It's a defriend because Willem Dafoe is that fucking good in it. It's, he makes it worth one sit-through. Just so you can now be in on the memes and understand, there was a firefight and all the other shit he does. Yeah, he's worth it. Yeah. It's just so, it's a defriend. But if you hate it, it's because of all the other stuff, not because of Dafoe. I will fight with the two of you as well. I will die on the hill with you that Dafoe is fucking awesome in this film. So give it a defriend. Give it a shot and then burn it, the copy, and walk away. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, some fair points. Fair points made, but we have one the friend there from Scott. <laughs> Petros, same question to friend or to foe on the Boondock Saints? I think I am going to have to disagree with Scott here and I'm going to have to go for a defoe just on the sheer fact of I'm looking at this film as an, an entire beast. Like if it was Defoe alone and that one scene, and uh, it would be it would be a friend for me. But the fact that obviously this film is like stodgy and kind of like really really bad, like terrible in places, like really really terrible. I can't in my good faith give it a a friend. And the fact like I am more willing to watch a YouTube compilation of scenes with Defoe in this film than ever watch this film again shows me 
like the it's it's a defoe like and obviously we've got the wealth of all the films we've seen up until this point as well to kind of use it as a yardstick to measure it against it's like this film is derivative do you know what i mean like i know S- scott on his podcast is going through like his tarantino derivative of like films that he references in his movies this is just troy duffy sitting over tarantino's shoulder being like can i copy your work and then just not understanding it and writing a load of fucking gobbledygook and like being like do you know what i really liked in pulp fiction or the moment where marvin gets shot oh yeah we're we're gonna have a cat get shot in this it's like uh, okay so it's yeah i just think i think it's quite and the fact there's a documentary about the filmmaker that is far better than the film he made is very telling that this film is not good. So it's a Defoe from me. Wow, one the friends, one Defoe. And I've I've been thinking about what my rating for this is going to be. It's I've been sort of on the fence. I've kind of seen it from both perspectives, like the Defoe performance and the entirety of the movie. Um, and then you know, there's another letterbox review I saw, which is four and a half stars. Did not expect Willem Dafoe to literally serve cunt, but he did, and he does, he does serve. And this is like I yeah, apologize. That's just a term you can only say in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, that's 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 not your word. That's cultural appropriation. It is. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Hey, that that steak you just made, that served cunt right there. What the fuck? Sorry, <laughs> just I love those terms. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, he does serve, uh, and I think it's. I think this is this is the thing we've been saying the whole way through is that Willem Dafoe on his power saves this movie and makes it watchable, and it's his character that you want to watch. But again, you look at it as the entirety from start to finish, and. I think I kind of set myself up in a way to expect a bit more from this movie because, like, well, it's an Arrow release and it's revered as a cult classic and it's got, like, this high audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And having watched it, even though there are definitely some, as I've said earlier, some flashes of really good stuff, it is something that has been crafted by, unfortunately, a megalomaniac amateur who was the own cause of his own demise, completely blinded by his own hubris, and this could and should have been something sort of fantastic and sort of peak 90s, early 2000s, whatever you want to say there. And I'm not unhappy that I watched it once, would I rush back to watch it again? I don't know. <laughs> Arrow Blu-ray's going on eBay. That's the vibe yeah. I'm getting. <laughs> this 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 isn't the first time Arrow have completely bamboozled me and tricked me. So more of anything, I blame you for this, Arrow, if you're listening. Uh, please sponsor us for future episodes. Yeah, I think on the balance of everything, I have to, I think I have to give it a Defoe. Like I wanted to like it. I thought it was going to be something just, I don't know. I expected something different, but a lot of it is just not not aged too well. The leads are very dull. Just a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And then for as good as Willem Dafoe is, Dafoe's character journey doesn't completely make a lot of sense. And then it just kind of like ends like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess... Vigilante is a, a fucking fantastic, <laughs> apparently. So that's, yeah, and, that's cool. 
the credits that roll with like people's like like kind of like news footage like people's opinions on them like that feels like a weird like studio note of like oh well we've got to, we've got to play the balance here we got to be like some people love the idea of them and like that final scene like the thing that baffled me the most is like it's three months later it's like how quick is the judicial system do you know what I mean he's in court within three months like what did he even go down for exactly when did he get caught <laughs> when did he get caught for and how is he in court in three months we've all seen the documentaries the american the american judicial system's fucked i can tell you how he's in court in three months it's in the script <sighs> yeah and that's and for that reason it gets to the foe because of the fucking script <laughs> so eat eat my asteroid off that's all i've got to say to you uh, can he but- do it in drag i mean he doesn't want to wear drag but could he if he wanted to could he wear drag uh, i will beat him up <laughs> and i will be in drag that's what I, uh, I'm going to go full Yui Bowl, and I will say on this podcast right now, Troy Duffy, I know you're probably listening. Me, you, let's go. Toe to toe. I'll wear high heels. I'll wear the exact outfit Willem Dafoe is wearing in this movie. The, the full-on drag brawl. Yes, UFC. I'm, You'll I'm be not, the undercar of a, a, one of the Paul Brothers boxing matches. There you go. I'm not the fuck out. <laughs> pick the time, pick the place, any coordinates you fancy. If it's the middle of the fucking ocean. You fucking wet wipe. I'll do it. I'll I'll surf cunt like you've never seen, Duffy. I'll surf cunt into your fucking oh, grave. Um, we do not endorse killing directors on this on this podcast. <laughs> Just to make that clear, this is this Unless, is unless, of course, there's a religious reason that you suddenly have an epiphany for homoerotically in a jail cell and water dripping on you. Yeah, well, then, maybe I've got, maybe I've got my own fucking hands prayer. are tied. Your hands are tied. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. If I, a dripping, if, I was, if I was in a dripping building, <laughs> the, only, the, only, the only call from God I would be de- like be dealing with is, I think I should call a plumber. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to go kill people. Well, on, on, on that bombshell, as we've all found our religious awakening to go and beat up Troy Duffy, apparently, um, allegedly for the courts, it's all in jest. I think it's time to bring this madness to a close. As we say once again, Thank you to Scott Crowshaw for joining us to chat the Boondock Saints. Uh, Scott, for the listeners, mm-hmm. uh, where can they find you on the interwebs, the socials, all that good business? You can find me on Facebook slash Instagram at Church of Tarantino. You can find me on Twix, which used to be Twitter and X, I like to call it Twix now, at the Church of QT Pod, because you can't have a long title on that goddamn fucking site. And also on Letterboxd at Church of QT Pod. And then all my other, you know, if you go there, you can find the links to the Cheeky Bastards and Dropping a Verse as well. So it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. A pleasure. Thank you very much. A pleasure, a privilege. It has been a uh, religious epiphany to chat to you. Fuck ass! There was a fire fight. So with that, we will conduct the credits closing on this episode all the links in the description as per usual and it's left for us to say i've been daryl i've been petros and i've been the reverend scott k and we've been getting to foe you and there we have it the boondock saints episode four season two in the ruddy bag yeah i mean I think if I think if it wasn't clear in the episode, I think we've basically challenged Troy Duffy to a fight, um, <laughs> and I will I will stand by it. Time.
place, Troy. Let, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> this is the season where the um, the iPhone notes up apologies coming faster, coming sooner rather than later. So let's get it out of the way. Let's apologise early and crack on with the rest. <laughs> with the rest, we're of not the just season. doing. We're not just doing uh, iPhone apologies. We're doing we're doing YouTube callouts as well. We're kind of like <laughs> we're doing video callouts. Me in a string vest calling out Troy Duffy in front of a brick wall. We are breaking hearts and burning bridges this season, like you would not fucking believe. No bridge left unburned. <laughs> Scorched earth, baby. Scorched earth. Um, but. If, of course, you uh, have enjoyed the episode, obviously, thank you for listening. If you have been, always an absolute really pleasure to have you aboard the Defoe Commotion train. Always more room in the carriages that haven't burnt to a cinder by this point as well. And, obviously, next week, the Defoe Commotion train carries on. It chugs along, and we go from the Boondock Saints to where are we hitting up next week, Petros? Oh, we're going to the Redneck Riviera and further afield to Las Vegas, baby, as we talk about the 2001 Paul Schrader-directed The Card Counter. And we are joined by a fantastic guest, uh, critic for Little White Lies and many other places, author of uh, a book on Sophia Coppola, Hannah Strong. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's a good one. It's a divisive episode. There's, uh, there's, some, there's some fun chatter in that one. And, uh, oh, we're in for a treat, guys. Oh, the midway point of the season, some controversy. Oh, yes, please. Uh, we'll tease you with that much, and you'll find out next week. But, of course, we couldn't wrap up without, as ever, saying thank you to our editor, Matt, who makes these boondock saints seem like we're not complete sinners with the absolute nonsense that comes out of our silly goose gobs. Oh, without Matt, we are just laying in a prison cell being dripped on with water. His editing work is like the call from God that gives us our mission to do great work. And we thank you as ever, Matt. <laughs> without you, we are having toilets thrown up from a 20-foot building and cracking <laughs> us over the skull. He's he's the El Duce to our uh, brothers whose names I cannot remember because they are that unmemorable. <laughs> Defoe for life, baby. But uh, obviously with that said again, we told you at the top, we'll tell you again if you've enjoyed the episode, if you want to chat to us about the Boondock Saints or of course anything Willem Defoe, there's plenty of opportunities, plenty of places to reach out. Uh, Petros again, where can we be found? You can find us on the handle at Pod on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok where there's lots of sexy, sexy goodness as we have sexy Sundays, ladies and gentlemen. Get us your first traps. Your first traps? Yeah, your Defoe, your Defoe firsty posts, your fan cams, your memes. Oh. We want to see it all. And every yes, Sunday please. we will be putting out a nice little social media thread with all of that goodness in there. Or you can drop us an email, ladies and gentlemen, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. As we said at the front of the episode and we'll say at the back of the episode... If it's not marked spam, it ain't worth sending in, okay? Spam us. <laughs> it's the season of content. It's the sexy content season, baby. So, with that said, thank you for listening. We will see you next week as we continue to cover all the highs, all the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You. So, until then, until then, bye-bye for now. Bye! Getting to follow you, getting to know all about
get you to like you by watching all your films. Getting to foe you will start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day.